thank you, Sarah, for that reading. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it will be food for our soul and light for our path this morning. Amen. I'll take my mask off, of course. Right. Well, um, good morning, everybody. So the theme of today's talk is mission. Okay. So what comes to mind when you think about mission? What comes to mind when you think about this word? Well, there are various dictionary definitions. This is from the Collins Dictionary. Uh, a mission is an important task that people are given to do, especially one that involves traveling to another country. A special journey made by military aeroplane or space rocket. Or if you say that you have a mission, you mean that you have a strong commitment and sense of duty to do or achieve something. So in a sense, we all have this desire within us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And people can respond to this sense of mission in lots of different ways, through their work, volunteering, family, sport or creative arts. So how does mission make you feel? Maybe that gives you a sense of excitement, a sense of adventure, or maybe a sense of fear. So the reading that we've just heard uh, is from Mark 6, 1 to 13. Uh, and this wasn't uh, a reading that I chose today. In fact, it's the lectionary, lectionary reading for this week. Um, but I think it's a really timely um, reminder to us uh, about, uh, about mission. Because as a church, over the lockdown period, we've spent a long time thinking, praying, discussing, and meeting in groups, uh, looking at how we engage with mission as a church. So mission can often involve being sent out or going on a journey, just like our friend in the space rocket here, who is going out on a mission to somewhere to discover somewhere new. And indeed, this happens in our Bible story where Jesus' disciples were being sent out on a mission. They were being sent out on a journey from village to village. But we also see in the earlier part of the story that Jesus also had a sense of mission to his own hometown. And it's this idea of mission at home which I want to talk about today. How we can do mission, how we can be a missional people without actually going anywhere. So today I'm going to be unapologetically S6-centric, St. Bart-centric. Uh, uh, however, I believe that some of the things that we'll talk about today can be applied more widely. I know that there is um, uh, discussions and work going on in the St. Stephen's part of the uh, parish as well, and so, um, you know, uh, it's relevant for that as well. Or, of course, your own personal missions uh, and where you feel called to. Um, not everybody will be the same. But I want to sort of, uh, as a church, to sort of focus our attention here on what we're doing in the St. Bart's Parish. So... Um, over these last few months, I've been part of a working group that have been conducting a local community audit. And this is a group uh, of six of us led by Phil Townsend. And um, 
This uh, uh, audit has th uh, three objectives. Firstly, to help us as a church determine where we can be most effective as salt and light for the Lord in the area around St. Bart's and how best to use our resources of building people, gifts, time and money. Secondly, to build relationships with the local community and agencies working in the local community. And thirdly, to engage members of the Vine congregation in actively thinking about mission and for people to be involved in the process and thereby grow spiritually. So what have we done uh, so far? Well, essentially it's been like a bit of a listening exercise, uh, trying to gather information about this area where we live and where we meet as a church. So we uh, firstly commissioned a suite of local insight data, so finding out about levels of poverty, migration, health, education, crime, all sorts of other data about, uh, about this parish, about this area. And then going on from that, we have done a set of informal semi-structured interviews with stakeholders around the local area. So this has included school head teachers, um, community centres, businesses, local councillors and other churches. And through that we've been collating information from other agencies to help us better understand our community. So this is an ongoing process and later on I will return to where we're up to and how you can be involved going forward. So it's important to remember that St Bart's in 2021 is a very different place to where Jesus, Jesus and his disciples were in the first century AD. But I think there are principles that we can draw on from this story as I've been reading it and thinking through it over these past couple of weeks. Uh, there are definitely some key principles that we can draw from what Jesus and, and his disciples were doing uh, and apply that to how we do mission here in 2021. And there are three things that I want to pick up on today. And they are relationship, repentance and rejection. Relationship, repentance and rejection. So let's start with relationship. So let's, um, if, you have, if you have a Bible open uh, in front of you, that would be very helpful because I will be referring to the passage as we go along. Um, so what instructions did Jesus give the 12 when he sent them out on their mission? Um, and let's uh, look at verses 7 to 10. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. So basically, he sent them empty-handed. What was Jesus thinking? It's like launching astronauts into space without a rocket or a spacesuit, let alone all the specialist equipment they're going to need to keep them safe and to make sure they're successful in their mission. Surely this is no way to do mission. But by sending them away empty-handed, I believe that Jesus was teaching his disciples an important lesson. And that lesson was to be dependent on others. So the very first thing they, they were supposed to do when they reached a new place was to find someone who would feed them and give them a place to stay. So in other words, they had to ask for help. And this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. He lived a life 
dependent on others. He was willing to ask people for help. He was willing to accept the hospitality of others. And he wanted his disciples to do likewise. Now, of course, Jesus didn't send his disciples ill-equipped. It says that he gave them authority over evil spirits and he equipped them with a special power to heal people and a message of repentance to share. So they did have a lot to give, but they didn't have everything. To be successful in their mission, they needed to build trusting relationships with the people around them, with the communities that they were visiting. What they weren't doing was exchanging miracles for food, as it wasn't a transaction going on here, but I think, see of it more like a partnership with the local community to bring lasting change in a way that they couldn't do if it was just their own. They needed the support of the community to enable the mission to actually be successful. So what we are doing here in S6 is grounded in relationship. We are seeking ways to partner with residents and local agencies to bring about positive change. As Christ Church, we have so much to offer a godless world, um, including the message of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and many other things. But we don't have everything. To be effective in mission, we must learn to accept the hospitality and generosity of others, to recognize that they have unique gifts and talents, so that we can work together for the common good. So mission is very much a two-way relationship. The second thing to talk about is, no, wrong way, repentance. Now repentance is what I would call a bit of a, a, bit of a churchy word. It's one of those words that we talk about in church in our Christian conversations, but we don't often really see it talked about much in uh, everyday life. Uh, and it sometimes can come across a certain way. We have visions of street evangelists with placards uh, on the street, repent for the end is nigh. It seems to us to be sort of judgmental and condemnatory. And if we're honest, maybe we don't really want much to do with that. But we can't get over the fact that calling people to repent was very much part of the disciples' mission. In verse 12, um, they went out and preached that people should repent. And it, this wasn't just the only time they did this. Actually, they were following on from Jesus himself. But almost the first thing he did when he started his ministry in Mark chapter 1 was to call people to repentance. And before him, John the Baptist was, was preaching the same message. And of course, they were just following the traditions of the Old Testament prophets who could see what was going wrong in their nation or in their community. And they called people to repent, which was, which was to admit that they've got it wrong and to commit to changing. And to give an example of what I think repentance looks like and how the church could be part of this, I actually want to read you a story. And this is from a diocese in Uganda, which is supported by Tear Fund. Uh, and this is a true story, however, the names have been changed to protect identities. Robert was an alcoholic. He didn't want the life or the family that he had. His wife Elizabeth and their four children lived in poverty. Elizabeth did what she could to keep the home, the, their, uh, to keep the home their family fed and clothed. But Robert spent the little money they did have on drink, making his health, risking his health, 
and the future of his children. The family felt humiliated. What was happening was clearly seen by the rest of the village in northern Uganda. Elizabeth says that when Robert was drunk, he would beat her. If she heard him coming home, she would escape and climb up a tree to hide from him. She frequently ended up spending the night in the tree, too afraid to climb down. When Tierfan's partner, the Diocese of Kitgum, came to the Kemba's village, Robert and Elizabeth became one of more than 700 married couples who took part in a training course called Faithful House. The course is designed to improve relationships between husbands and wives for the good of their family and wider community. The idea of Faithful House didn't, isn't just to save marriages. The rate of prevalence for HIV is still worryingly high in the region, despite years of intervention. The diocese realized that to make a real difference, they needed to tackle some of the dangerous cultural norms in the area. These included polygamy, early or forced marriage, and high-risk behaviours such as drug and alcohol abuse and promiscuity. The training and counselling Robert and Elizabeth received has completely transformed their marriage. Robert feels relieved and free. This training was God's plan for my family, says Robert. It was an eye-opener for us. I totally transformed our marriage. I have seen the Lord delivering me from being a slave to drinking. We are happy and are planning and working together to transform our situation. There are plenty of ways they will be able to do this. Vulnerable couples like Robert and Elizabeth are receiving special training and support to help them generate a proper income. They'll learn about how to join a local savings scheme and receive training in business skills, agriculture and financial management. The couple went on to have a church wedding at the end of the course, something they didn't originally have. It was an important statement to the couple God was now at the heart of their marriage. Although his friends hated him for deserting their drinking group, his family is peaceful and Elizabeth no longer has to sleep up a tree. So that, for me, was a brilliant um, example of um, repentance. Here's evidence that when a sinner repents, everybody wins. And... Um, when Jesus' disciples went out to the villages, they brought with them healing and miracles. So they were giving stuff. Uh, but, and that was good, but if that's all that they did, and the people there did not change their thinking, did not change their behaviour, did not change their ways, then actually there would be no lasting change. They would go back, people would become sick again, they'd go back to the way they were before. So as a church, we can give people free stuff, but if that's all we do, and we are unwilling to challenge harmful behavior, of course, within a spirit of forgiveness and acceptance, then there can't be lasting change. So repentance does need to be part of what we do. And of course, repentance has to start with us. This is not something that people outside there need to be doing. That's what people inside this building today need to be doing. So we can't expect others to repent if we aren't doing so ourselves. Then the final thing that comes out of this passage is rejection. So Jesus was um, very concerned about preparing his disciples for being rejected. Now firstly what we notice from the, the first part of the story which was uh, verses 1 to 6, uh, Jesus himself was rejected. And 
for him, he was not just rejected by strangers, but by his friends and family, by people who knew him. In fact, we could almost say that Jesus' whole life was like a story of rejection, really, uh, which culminated on being crucified. Um, so he knows how we feel. Rejection is never nice, um, particularly when it's people that we know. Sometimes if a stranger kind of says something nasty to us, nasty to us we can kind of let it go. But when it's somebody that we, we love, our friends or family, people we know, then it can really hurt. And Jesus understands how that feels. Um, so he had rejection himself, but he also instructs his disciples to respond to rejection. And what does he say? Well, we, we see this in verse 11. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Now, this seems a little bit of a strange thing. So I did a little bit of reading on this to try and work out what does this really mean? Well, apparently, the, this idea of shaking your, the dust off your feet when you leave a town, this was something, this was a Jewish custom that they did when they passed through Gentile towns. It was a way of sort of showing their separation from Gentile influences and practices. So the contrast here is that the, but, um, if they were not welcomed, they should do this, shake the dust off their feet in order to be a sign that they wish to remain separate from people who had rejected Jesus and his message. So they were not to take this rejection personally, but actually leave that village in God's hands and then move on somewhere else. Rejection is not failure. Okay, I'll say that again. Rejection is not failure. In fact, if we are faithful on our mission, it is almost inevitable. So as we try to build relationships with others, as we try to call other people to repentance, there will be some who don't want to know, and there'll be others who are actively hostile towards us. So we should not take this personally, but recognize that as part of God's mission. So we should be prepared to shake the dust off our feet, leave them in God's hands, continue to pray for them, but to move on. Our job here is done. But it is important, of course, to finish on a positive note. In Matthew 28, when Jesus is finally sending off his disciples for good out into the world on their own, these were his final words. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So people out there might reject us. Sadly, sometimes we can be rejected even by others within the church. And indeed, we have all at some point rejected Jesus. But Jesus will never reject us. And it's that truth which should give us the resilience that we need. So, what next? Uh, Alan, this is your cue, uh, please. So, what Alan is going to do is going to give out some, um, uh, a document uh, to you. And this is the next part of our local community audit. And this is where we want uh, people in the church to be involved. And of course, if you're watching this online or um, on catch up, um, don't worry, we'll make sure that this material gets out to you at, at some point. Uh, and there'll be loads of sheets left that we can leave here in the building. But what, uh, what this is, is what we want to do next is to have some conversations 
with uh, people in the church if you would like to be part of this. So this will be led by uh, Phil, um, Andy, Tina and Amy, um, who will be having conversations with people really to explore what does mission mean to you and how as the vine can we to do uh, as a way of taking this forward um, and thinking about what I've just said is to engage with this over the next few weeks um, and um, just consider uh, being involved and all the details are there on the sheet about how you can um, say yes I want to, to be involved in this I want to have this conversation and um, I want to see how what more I can do and another thing that we'll be doing um, probably uh, in September is uh, we also want to do some surveys with members of the public within our area you know maybe outside the school gates or outside the shops shops or pubs um, to be listening to everyday people uh, on the streets about what their needs are and uh, how we can uh, best be supporting them and so we would like volunteers to help with those surveys so please think about if that's something that you would like to be involved in and we will give more information um, later on so this is really just a call to um, to think about this further and consider your own involvement so we are all created with a sense of purpose to be part of something bigger than ourselves and so over these next few weeks let's consider how we can be partners in God's mission here at the vine